0: Clock is my dictator. I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me to deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done, for my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. They demand my performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My in-basket overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. Marcia K. Hornock, Psalm 23, Antithesis.
1: Well, good morning. Welcome to week two of our teaching series, The Gift. And I'm a little out of breath because we're trying to prepare. And that's actually part of what we're talking about today. So, and maybe it just shows how grossly out of shape I am. I don't know. One of the two things. Uh, We're talking about the gift. And we're talking about in this season, in our preparation towards Christmas, what the gift isn't, which was last week. Jimmy led us through that what the gift is, which is what we're talking about today. And then next week, we're gonna land with what the gift could be. And the gift, of course, is the birth of Jesus. And we just wanna focus our heads and our hearts and collectively as a community this month as we walk our way through the idea of Jesus' birth, naturally, as we lead our way to Christmas. And so that's where we are. And so today we are talking about the birth of Jesus and what it is. We're looking at the simplicity Also, the enormity of Jesus' birth and what it means for us today. And so to start, I just want to tell you a little bit, a story from my own life, Um, a little bit about me. Many of you would know this already, but I am a mom. I have three kids. And 11 years ago, we had our first baby. We had our first baby and I was pregnant. And like all first-time parents, you're just so excited to be pregnant and expecting. And well, our first baby was due in December, December 14th was, it's a girl, her due date. We didn't know that at the time. And so while December is a pretty full month, I thought, especially because we were just so excited to finally be having kids, getting our family started, I thought, you know what, the middle of December, December 14th, that's okay, we can handle that. It's still a good couple weeks away from Christmas. And plus, I really like to be awesome at things. So I thought, you know what I'm gonna be awesome at? Having this baby on time. That's what I'm gonna be awesome at. Well, December 14th came and went, And then the 15th came and went, and then the 16th, and then the 17th. And you know what it turns out I'm really awesome at? Staying pregnant for a really long time. (laughs) Um, The days kept going and going, and we were inching closer and closer to Christmas. And I realized that, I kind of just realized and released, we're going to have this baby far closer to Christmas than I'd ever hoped or expected or planned for. And she came, as they always eventually do, on Christmas Eve. Ellie joined our family, and all of the sudden, our Decembers had this really significant celebration that we forever and always were going to want to celebrate. So what's coming? She's turning 11. And then time goes on, and we wanted to add to our family, and I found myself pregnant again. And I was due in December. (laughs) But this time, I was due on December 3rd. So you know what I thought? I thought, um, you know what, December 3rd, I've done this before. December 3rd is like way early in the month and my body will remember. And I've done this before and you know what I'm gonna do? My body's gonna get this baby out early. Like we're looking at a targeting a November baby. But as it turns out, do you know what my body did remember? How to stay pregnant for a really long time. And the days came and went. One day late, two days overdue. You know how this goes by now. And well, a mere 14 days later, Zeke joined our family on December 17th. And again, our Decembers had this really important, special celebration that from now on, we would want to have. Now we do have a third kid, and I know you're all wondering, his birthday's in May. but he was also 14 days late. So there you go. (laughs) Okay, and so that's our December reality. And you may not have birthdays, although I suspect some of you do. Shout out to the December babies, right? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Happy birthday, whenever it is this month. So the fact is, like, here we have... Your Decembers might not include some birthdays, but I anticipate it includes a lot of these other things. These months just sort of seem to fill up with all of the things. We have school concerts. We have family Christmas number one. We have family Christmas number two. We have the cookie exchange with the neighbors, so you gotta get together. There's the traditions that you wanna start with your family, so you squeeze them in, whether it's baking all day, whether it's going to see the Christmas lights downtown. What's the tradition that you you wanna instill in the next generation? You gotta decorate outside. And like Mike Finney told me this morning, he's all about appearances. So the outside gets decorated a lot sooner than the inside of their house. You need to decorate the inside of your house. You need to go get the Christmas tree and decorate that. You've got the work party for both of you. <sighs> I know, you've gotta get the groceries and prep the food. You gotta get the cards in the mail. The, the things that Christmas tends to be about have very little to do with the thing that Christmas is supposed to be about. From the decorations, to the groceries, to the outfits you need to wear. You know, that semi-formal that's coming up. You don't wanna be too dressy, but you don't wanna be underdressed. And you're grilling your husband saying, what is the dress code for your staff Christmas party? No, is that just me? Is that me? So all of the things that December and the preparation as we lead to Christmas continue to compound and pile up and pile up. And I'm sure if we polled this group and online, if you're watching on the live stream in the chat, what other days of the month would you have filled? And of course, one of them always gets canceled because someone in the family is sick. (laughs) And the month starts to press in on us. And yet if we were to say, what's the point of Christmas? We collectively, for those of us that follow Jesus would say, It's about the birth of Jesus. But for some reason and somehow it gets squeezed in around all of the other things that this month of preparation is meant to hold. And as we start the slow ramp up, I feel like it starts earlier and earlier. I don't know if you guys have ever heard the term Christmas creep, but it tends to start earlier and earlier. And we've all seen Costco the minute summer's done, the Christmas decorations are in the building. And what's the one question that we add? We are, as a people group, we have this like way of engaging with one another, don't we? Hey, how you doing? Great, how are you? Great. But at this time of year, we slide in one more question I've noticed. Do You guys know what this question is? Are you ready for Christmas? And what do we mean when we say that? Oh, are the presents bought? Is everything wrapped? Have you bought your groceries? Is everything set up? Very rarely do people mean, how much time have you spent preparing your heart and mind to receive the birth of Jesus Christ? right? Are you ready for Christmas? And this year, while the calendar is full, it also comes with assumptions and obligations and hopes and ideals and expectations, some of which we've put on ourselves in anticipation, some of which have been put on us by those in our families or communities. And there starts to be a pressing in about what this time of year is meant to be. So, as we talk about the gift, I want these things to remain a visual. And I didn't even get to pulling all the stuff out. I could keep going. But you get the point. And much like our experience today, when we actually talk about the birth of Jesus, much of that still existed. Yeah, not the calendar, not all the stuff, but the expectation and hope and ideal. Of what they were anticipating would come with Jesus' birth. You see the Jews, they were living under Roman occupation and they were longing for their savior. They were longing for their king. They were longing for their Messiah. And Jimmy reminded us of this last week that so Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome. And at the time he was actually deemed the Lord, the one who was going to bring peace the one for whom glad tidings were about, the claim over his life was that he was the savior. But the peace that he was going to bring was going to come about through violence and oppression. And the arrival of Jesus brought an invitation to peace that was brought through by justice. And we'll see as we talk about the birth of Jesus that his arrival actually turned everything upside down. But the Jewish people were hoping and waiting and expecting a king. There are three things I want us to highlight today as we talk about the birth of Jesus, what it is. And there's three words, you could pick more. These aren't the only three words or the only three focuses. Jesus' birth was radical, it was simple, and it was invitational. And this is where we're gonna go first. Um, If you have your Bibles, we're gonna be spending time in Luke chapter two. And we're not kind of reading through the whole chunk, but I want us to land on just a few verses for a minute. And the first thing I want to look at is how Luke's, um, how uh, Jesus' birth is radical. And so we're going to start by looking at uh, verse 11. It may be on a slide, which I could read along with you, but I'm not sure none of them have come up yet. So we'll read Luke um, 2.11 says this. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. The Lord. Okay, and it may seem odd to just pick that one little verse as we talk about the idea of Jesus' birth being radical. But the words that Luke chose as he described the the account of Jesus' birth were actually very much on purpose and very intentional. So remember, the Jews were living under occupation and they were hoping for like a military king, someone who was gonna come and overthrow the Romans, someone who was gonna come and save them, someone who was gonna come with more power to come in and save them because the Romans already had a savior in Jesus or a savior in Caesar. So the words that Luke picks are really important. And so when we look at just even verse 11, they're words we've likely heard a lot, but they actually have this subversive message of this radical arrival of Jesus. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Oh, isn't isn't Caesar? our savior? Isn't Caesar, our Lord? Luke is highlighting something really important. The proclamation of Jesus was coming to do things differently. And here we have then this promised Messiah, this Lord. And who is he? He's a baby. He's a baby. And he's wrapped in some simple cloths and he's placed in a lowly manger. He's weak. He's entirely reliant on the humans around him to give him life and to care for him. This? This is the promised king? So think of the hopes and the expectations that the Jewish people would have had. Would those have been met in a baby? Laying in a stable? Think about your expectations for the hopes and expectations you have for the Christmas season you are in. Are they met in the birth of Jesus? Jesus came to move and usher in a new kingdom, one that was entirely a radical way of life. One that was going to bring forth peace and freedom through justice. One that was gonna turn empire upside down and lift up those on the margins, be a voice for those who were voiceless. So Jesus' birth in many, many ways was radical. And so as we step into what our season holds of expecting and making space for Jesus' birth, would we define our Christmas season as radical? While Jesus' birth was radical, it was also really simple. And I want us to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 6 to 9 for a minute. And this is what they say. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Jesus didn't come with the fanfare of a king. There wasn't space given. He didn't get all come with all the stuff. There was no preparation for his arrival. There was no meals prepared, no fancy outfits put on. There was no decor to set just the right atmosphere. He came in the most humble of ways, quietly. There wasn't space given and there wasn't even a bed for him. And then look who gets the news first in verse eight. It's the shepherds. Not the soldiers, not the priests with the high status, not the emperor or the king. It was the shepherds. These are the ones who essentially would have been like society's outcast. They would have been on the margins. They would have been the lowest in status and in wealth and also likely in hygiene. And that is who the angels went to. This is who God chose to start the good news with. This is a message that we, we shouldn't overlook, the starting point of the good message of Jesus, who it went to. There's something in there for us to take hold of. There is a simplicity to the birth of Jesus that is meant for us to embrace in our own experience of the birth of Jesus. And so I ask you again, think of the people who were expecting a king, a savior, someone who was gonna come and overthrow the power structures. Would the simplicity of Jesus' birth have been enough? And think about what you expect out of Christmas, what is expected of you maybe, the obligations, the assumptions, all the ideals, all the visions of what we hope for. Is the simplicity of Jesus' birth enough? And the third thing that Jesus' birth is, is invitational. And so I want us to look at Luke 2.10 for this one. And this is what it says there. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. And then verse 11, which we already read says today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. But look at verse 10 for a minute. What does the angel say as, she, as they go to the shepherds? What do they say? I bring you good news that will be for all people. That message in and of itself is actually quite radical but there's an invitation as we look at the birth of Jesus. The most radical thing about Jesus coming the way he did was that he was gonna come for all the people, not just those with the most wealth or the power, not just those who were Jewish people, not just those who held a position of political power. And the shepherds, and they took this news and they ran through the town and they told everyone that they could. And the news spread, the long awaited king had finally come. And this would change everything for everyone. Everyone was invited into the birth story of Jesus. And that is true for us today too. You are invited into the story today too. Do you believe that Jesus came for you? Do you believe that you are invited into the story? That you're not just someone who maybe gets to hear the story secondhand, but you actually have the, are the one that the angels have come to say, I have good news for you. And the good news isn't that you can fill up your calendar with all the fun things that December is supposed to hold. And the good news isn't that we get to add to the stack of stuff that we own as we order things off Amazon and get outfits that work and make sure we have enough food to feed our families. The good news is that Jesus came to be radical and to invite simplicity into our lives and to continue to spread the good news over and over and over again. And you are invited into this story. And that is a juxtaposition from what we see here, from what we stand in here to say, this is our, this is the reality for so many of us of what our Christmas preparation holds. And Jesus says, a story that I have for you is one that puts me at the center. Now I want to say, it's not like we just need to come and just wipe all this stuff off. There is room for these things. But the invitation we have is to say, are we squeezing Jesus in around the things that need to happen? Or is he the reason that we actually prepare in the midst of all that we're doing? And some of you may have an experience, since I'm standing by the calendar anyways, some of you may have the experience saying, Carmen, this isn't actually my experience of this time of year. It's actually the opposite. It's actually pretty empty. This time of year reminds me glaringly of the loneliness I feel or the grief I hold. That's our story too. We have a grief story as we walk through December as well that our family will hold as we lost a family member a few years ago this month. And so it's not about, hey, your calendar's so busy, you're doing it wrong. But it's about how are we making space in our head and our heart for the reality of why Jesus came? And the story wouldn't be that far off from those that were expecting him to come back then too. And so think about the expectations and the hopes and the ideals and the obligations that maybe have caused you to feel squeezed in this month, whatever they are. And are they inviting the reality of the gift? The gift of Jesus' birth. Okay, I want us to turn back one depending how big your Bible is to Luke chapter one for just a minute and spend a few moments in Mary's experience. There's this really famous part of the story as Mary is told what is going to happen to her and the part that she gets to play. And it's a pretty popular portion of scripture. It's called Mary's song or the Magnificat. And as she hears this, she sings a song and I want to read it for us because it captures so beautifully all of what the birth of Jesus is. And it says this. It's a few verses. It starts at verse 46, goes to 55, and it says this. Then Mary sang, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now all, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. just as he promised our ancestors. And so Mary, <laughs> sitting in the magnitude of what was about to happen, stood and sang and understood what the gift really was. And particularly in verses 51 to 53, we can show that slide. She sees the radicalness of Jesus' birth, that he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their throne, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. There is a radical subversive nature to the kingdom that Jesus was about to bring. And we are invited into this story too. She recognizes the humility of her being a part of the story, the simplicity of using a humble servant such as herself. Do you see the difference between what we so often make this season about, what we so often make even Jesus' arrival about versus what Mary understood to be true? Mary's song emphasizes this great reversal that is coming through Jesus, scattering the proud, bringing down the powerful, sending the rich away empty, lifting up those who are humble, feeding those who are hungry. And this should stop us. Like it stopped Mary to say, my soul magnifies the Lord. So think about when someone says to you next, hey, are you ready for, are you all ready for Christmas? Are we stopped in the midst of this to say, my soul magnifies the Lord, for he is going to do good things and he has done great things and he uses us in our uh, inadequate, humble, simple states. He uses the lowest of the low to be the ones to spread his good news, the good news that spread like wildfire and changed the trajectory of the world. And he came in a way that no one expected or assumed. Even me, I was like, I want to put all the stuff out and all the clutter, half of it's still back there. But that's actually part of the point, I think. Like, I didn't even do what I wanted to do. The vision I had didn't happen. So what? My soul magnifies the Lord. And there is room to sing and say those things while we walk a month that holds so much goodness as well. The truth of this gift though, is that we have to make room to receive it. We just do. And this is where every, if you grew up going to church, if you grew up going to Sunday school, you know that probably on this day, December, middle of December, this was the lesson where you learned that there was no room for Jesus in the end. But what a powerful image right? There was no room for him. People had already done what they needed to do because this massive census was coming to town and there was no room. And the invitation is to say, we need to make room. We need to make room in our heads and in our hearts. And that's going to look different for all of us. Don't hear me prescribe, Cut, cut half the things off your calendar or just sit in silence every day. Walk out what you need to live your life how you need to, but whatever it looks like to make room That is the invitation of Jesus' birth. None of this stuff actually matters. The gifts, the drinks, the decorations, the Amazon packages, the clothes that we think we need to wear. We need to make room for the birth of Jesus. And it may not be making, leaving the stuff behind, but maybe it's a heart shift of where our expectations and ideals live versus holding the truth of the radical, simple, invitational nature of what Jesus came to do. I wanna show us a few pictures for a minute. Uh, these came, this came from an ad campaign a few years ago. Uh, and if you have your teaching notes, you can see the website where you can find it. This was an ad campaign called White Christmas put on by Wonder Inc. And what they did, they're out east in Nova Scotia, they bought $10,000 worth of ad space simply to put up blank images. And the whole premise of this campaign for them was to say in the busiest time of the year, we wanna give people a space, space and breathing room from the bombardment of everything coming their way to cut through the clutter, to cut through the noise, to cut through the constant barrage of marketing and ad campaigns and buy this and get this and expect this for Christmas and do this. And so all over town, they bought white space. And I want you to sit with these images for a minute. I don't know if we're on slide one or slide two, but maybe we can rotate between the two. And I want you to pay attention for a minute of, what does this do for you as you see that? Does it in any way just bring like our nervous systems down just this much? To just sit with space. Space is really important. They also bought radio ads and just had a long pause. And I think if a marketing company can get it, those of us that follow Jesus can get it too. And I was really struck by this. I didn't think I would be, but we're so, we're so used to it. It's everywhere, constantly, all around us. And to just be stopped by blank space is just a beautiful example of what we can be led into as people who follow Jesus to just make room. And while none of us probably have a billboard in our backyard, maybe you do, that's more power to you if you do, but where do we need to stop the clutter? Where do we need to, need, where do we need to make the space? And I wanna end by just taking a few minutes to read for us um, two things as a way for us collectively to make space this morning. Uh, The first thing I want to read is the quotes package, which isn't going to help us feel good. But then right after that, what I want to end with is actually reading through Psalm, the actual Psalm 23. May you be reminded this Christmas season that whatever your weeks hold, wherever there is hardship and grief, wherever there is joy and anticipation, there is an invitation to make room for the reality of what Jesus' birth is for us. So this is a poem called Psalm 23 Antithesis. And you've heard it once already today. The clock is my dictator. I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me to deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done for my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. They demand my performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My in-basket overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. And I want to read Psalm 23 as a way for us to just breathe. Permission yourself to let this be an opportunity to make room, knowing that for many of us, we're going to walk out of this room and something else is probably on your calendar for the day. But when we make room, let the truth and the beauty and the simplicity and the purpose of why Jesus came Sit with you today. And most importantly, know that there's an invitation for you to be a part of that story if you're not already. He came for you. I'm going to leave the antithesis up, and I'm going to leave the calendar here, and I'm going to leave the clutter out. Maybe that will serve as a bit of an image as we actually sit in an invitation to the gift of space and simplicity that Jesus has for us. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear nothing, no evil. For you are with me Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Jesus, we long to make room for you. And we know that we live in a world that actually, like that poem suggests, is the antithesis of what you have to offer each of us. And our heart's desire, our posture is to want to receive you, reflect on you, be grateful for and experience all that your birth came to bring us. And I pray that by your spirit you encounter each of us and gently remind us or give us ideas of what does it look like to have a season that is radical that is countercultural to what is expected of us this year and by your spirit would you slow us down enough to sit in the simplicity of how you came and by your spirit may we re- understand the warm invitation that each of us has to be invited into your story and that none of us are counted out from that. We can sit together in a teaching and hear your words, but God, it's the work of your spirit that moves us forward more and more towards you. And so I ask for that in this space and time. Let me pray in your name. Amen.